What made Dr. Michael Brownlee of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation say, and I quote, and that to me is mind-boggling. It makes me ask, what is going on? End quote. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on diabetes mellitus. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ann Albright. Dr. Albright is the Director of the Division of Diabetes Translation at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. She oversees all CDC-funded state-based diabetes programs, diabetes surveillance systems, and the National Diabetes Education Program. She was awarded the 2004 National Woman of Valor from the American Diabetes Association. Today we are discussing the National Diabetes Education Program. The program is designed to improve and treat outcomes for people with diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Albright. Thanks for taking the time to join us for this special segment on diabetes. It's my pleasure to be here. Dr. Brownlee was referring to the fact that according to the CDC, just 7% of patients with diabetes are getting all the treatments they need. What's the cause of this problem, and what are we doing about it? There's uh, certainly no question that people with diabetes need to be getting additional, or, or more people with diabetes need to be getting the appropriate tests and exams to stay on top of good care. Those numbers are beginning to improve, though, which is the good news. We are starting to see the trends of those preventive care practices go in the, the much better direction and in the right direction. We just certainly need to be seeing more people getting those important tests and exams. It's important, though, to, to also say that the tests and exams are the first step. That, that alone is not sufficient. We actually have a large trial that we've been doing here at CDC that we have initiated, and in turn, NIH has also been funding some ancillary studies out of this trial, and it's called TRIAD, Translating Research into Action for Diabetes. And we've been learning a number of things. This is a trial that is being done with over 12,000 uh, diabetic patients with numerous uh, health plans and, and medical groups around the country. And we have been able to show from that work that the process measures that we have, were just referencing, many, many people are getting those. This is, again, uh, in a setting where people do have coverage and have insurance. Many people are getting those tests and exams. However, the outcomes of those tests and exams have not been moving as rapidly in the direction that we would like to see them move. So, for example, more people are getting their A1C test, but the value of that A1C test, more people need to be moving in a positive direction. So that's telling us those tests and exams are an important first step, but we now need to be sure that our, our healthcare professional colleagues and people with diabetes are doing what needs to be done outside of the healthcare system as well to improve those outcomes when they come back to visit us again. What specifically is the National Diabetes Education Program doing? The National Diabetes Education Program, for, for the listeners who are not familiar with that program, is the federally funded diabetes education program, the only one of its kind, and it's co-sponsored and co-managed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Division of Diabetes, and the National Institutes of Health. So it is a, an important federal program to be getting the word out about diabetes. The NDEP began, uh, it's been celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. So it really began on the heels of the results of the Diabetes Control and Complications Trial to try to get the message out to uh, certainly healthcare providers, people with diabetes, communities, that diabetes control matters. 
as the program has evolved, the second campaign focused around the connection between heart disease and diabetes and the fact that you really do want to manage diabetes so that you can prevent heart disease and stroke. I saw a quotation from Dr. David Nathan from the Mass General Hospital who said, essentially, it's not the sugar that kills you, it's the heart disease caused by the sugar. Yep, that's and it's not only the sugar, it's the cholesterol and blood pressure. And that's really what the campaign, that second campaign focused on, the ABCs of diabetes, A1C, blood pressure and cholesterol. And we really have got to continue to really... Um, drum that beat, that those are the things that we really need to pay attention to to really help people with diabetes live successfully, avoid those complications. And then just to finish out this comment, the third campaign that the uh, National Diabetes Education Program, which we call the NDEP, is focusing on is primary prevention of type 2 diabetes. So it's really a complete package. It's control your diabetes for life. It's make that link between heart disease and uh, diabetes, and it's the primary prevention of type 2 diabetes. To maintain that effort needed to control and perhaps prevent type 2 diabetes, Getting people to comply is so difficult. We talk all the time about lifestyle change. To take a jingle from the Army, how do we encourage our patients to be all that you can be? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, something that is is complex and, and is perplexing both. But I think we've been learning more about the importance of being sure that we're speaking to patients in ways that are meaningful to them. You know, quite frankly, people are complying. They're complying with whatever seems to be able to be most uh, doable to them and important to them. And so I think as clinicians, we've got to remind ourselves that um, it's really our job to help people understand the information, to encourage them to do what they can do, but to never forget that the ultimate decision is the patients, the person with diabetes in this case. And so it's our job to give them as much support and encouragement and guidance as we can, but to also help them understand that diabetes is a self-managed disease. It doesn't mean that you sort of throw information at people and then say, okay, it's your, your deal, and if you don't do it, tough luck on you. I'd like to welcome those who have just joined us on this special segment about the National Diabetes Education Program. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest is Dr. Ann Albright, director of the CDC's Division of Diabetes Translation. Apologize for that interruption, but tell us a little bit more about the ownership of a disease. What people need to do to take charge? Yeah, I think the, the first thing that people with diabetes need to, again, have the opportunity to, once you've received the diagnosis, it is like uh, ha- having to sort of grieve over something. It can be, it's certainly very troubling for people. It can be a shock for many that they now have to live with a disease that is chronic in nature and one that you can't come to your healthcare professional and say, gosh, give me that quick fix, something that's going to fix this. They need to have some assistance and some support, and that's why seeing a diabetes educator, seeing a dietitian, members of the healthcare team that can actually help them along with their physician develop a plan of action. 
and to also have the opportunity to get some referral if necessary for depression and certainly having healthcare professionals talk to people about depression. These are all things that contribute to living successfully with diabetes or detract from living successfully with diabetes. So it's not only about the medication you take, but it's also about the nutrition plan, the physical activity plan, coping skills, and learning how to deal with stress and to be able to figure out ways to successfully live with diabetes every day. Because it is a 24-7 disease and people need to come to terms with that and be given the opportunity to, to cope with that. We hope, of course, that one day there will be cures for diabetes, but it's important to talk to patients about the fact that until those cures are found, you want to live as successfully with this disease as possible. So when that day does come, that we'll be able to be healthy enough to, to enjoy that, that research victory. It is so difficult to live with a chronic illness. How do you combat what they call the burnout phenomenon? You know, it's I just can't do this checking my glucose six times a day and I can't live my life this way. Have you found any programs that may be effective in ameliorating burnout? There are, I think, certainly those who are dedicating some programs to that. There are books to read about it. There's certainly a book called Diabetes Burnout. Bill Polonsky's written a book. There are certainly others in the diabetes community that are contributing to some of these efforts. There, there is not a magic bullet to do it, but I think some of those principles around being sure that as practitioners we focus on more than just what we may think is our role around medication management, that it isn't only about that, that talking to people, asking them, how's it going? Asking some questions about, do you have people in your life that can help you be supportive as you're living with this disease? There are organizations that may be in local communities sponsoring support groups where people can go and have the chance to learn about their diabetes. Doing group visits. Many practitioners are doing group visits for diabetes now, and those have found to be helpful not only for medical management, but also for psychosocial management. No, I think that's a great idea. Support systems are and support groups are so important in helping people be positive about their illness and taking a proactive approach. It's key. It's key to living with diabetes. I personally have lived with type 1 diabetes for coming on 40 years. And I think one of the main lessons I learned as a child from my mom was ask a lot of questions, gain a lot of knowledge about it, but then you've got to act on that knowledge. Knowing is not enough. You then have to have to do the doing part of it. And, and you're, the comment you made earlier about people say, gosh, I can't do this every day. There are days where you may say, you know what, today I'm going to plan for the fact that I may have to take what is sort of referred to as a, a little vacation. And I think you don't want to over-abuse that concept and say, oh, I can just, you know, cast this all to the wind. But you can plan with your healthcare team about when there are days where maybe you'll test a little less, but then you know it's for a day. It's not for days on end and weeks on end. So it's thinking about some of those strategies, but be sure to talk to your healthcare team about doing those and to do them safely. Where's the status of the surveillance programs and what do you hope to learn from them? The surveillance programs in diabetes are very much a core function of public health, and surveillance is important. We need to know uh, the numbers of people with diabetes, the numbers that have complications, what the morbidity, mortality for diabetes is. Our hope with that data is really to do what surveillance and data gathering should do. It's to give people information to help guide 
programs and interventions. So one maybe very clear example is some of the surveillance data that we have and we've been monitoring over the last many, many years has shown that the national mortality rate for for all cause is declining for for men and women. But when you look at people with diabetes and you look at all-cause mortality and cardiovascular disease mortality, the death rate for men with diabetes is going down, but the death rate for women with diabetes has stayed pretty static. And so that should tell us that we need to look at why that's happening. And what we can suggest is that women who have diabetes certainly are subject to cardiovascular disease, and it probably is suggesting that we are not speaking to women with diabetes as aggressively as we should about their uh, cardiovascular risk. I'd like to end on a positive note. The Los Angeles Times, October 3rd, 2007, quote, Healthy living could save us $1 trillion a year, end quote. Our time has just flown by, and I'd like to thank you so much, Dr. Albright, for being our guest on this special segment, translating what we learn into action and letting us know more about the National Diabetes Education Program. We are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our new on-demand and podcast features, which provide you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.